And hello. Welcome to the lair of Lead Melodies, your database for all things heavy and also macabre. And today's subject for this episode's review is one band named Crow Killer and their album Enslaved to One. As of March 6th, 2022, just turned two years old. Yes, it was uh, released two years ago, March 6, 2020, by New Age Records. This is their debut LP release on a, quote, major label. <laughs> no, not really. If you're not familiar with uh, Crow Killer, well, you're fucking about to be. <laughs> but for those of you that want a basic idea, it, you basically think of uh, more metal-tinged hardcore bands that are a little, uh, we'll say, angular. <laughs> I'm talking bands like uh, Jesus Peace, Disembodied, Homewrecker. But if you're a fan of stuff like uh, Gate Creeper, then yeah, you might get into that as well. But also if you're a fan of Close Grip, I'm talking to you, Salt Lake City locals. If you're a fan of Close Grip, then yeah, you will most likely be a fan of Crow Killer. If not musically, but spiritually. Anyway, we got a lot to get through on this review. It's going to be a long one. And for good reason, I promise you, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the album Enslaved to One by Crow Killer. Now, it takes bands like Crow Killer to effectively turn the hardcore scene on its ear. Through its ebbs and flows, many of the niches of the genre have come and gone, but also resurfaced from bouts of nostalgia with added twists to sort of upgrade the sound. Crow Killer is a composite of what hardcore was on multiple fronts, bringing the aggression of hate breed and terror, the angular riffs, chaos notes, and off-kilter rhythmic patterns of Converge and Disembodied, the pile-up slash mic-grab triggering choruses, rallying cries, and sloganeering, which led into thundering breakdowns, and pillars from the structures of thrash and death metal alike. In the act of compiling both old and new elements, right down to the band's personnel, they've managed to not so much as duplicate a sound to appease the respective tastes of old-school or new-school listeners, but rather create one that simultaneously satisfies those from both ends of the timeline. Now, Crow Killer incorporates members from the Salt Lake hardcore scene of old with fresh blood. Lead vocalist Blake Ford earned his keep in the early 2000s as an SLC youth crew advocate, fronting the band Cool Your Jets, with X's on each side. Prior to that, he backed the kit in the metal-infused aftermath of a train wreck, of which their guitarist Tyler Rhodes was also a part. The newer recruits include drummer Matt Lloyd, who made a name for himself playing in hard rock and metal bands like The Cotton Ponies and Treason in his youth. Onwards, he brought his drumming talents to his first hardcore band, Militant, and honing his guitar skills in PXR, which stood for Positive X Reinforcement. He's even stood as a fill-in drummer for the one-off reunion shows of Salt Lake Hardcore aficionados, like Cherim, City to City, and he even filled in as a guitarist for an aftermath of a train wreck kind of comeback show. What's funny is, he's in Crow Killer as a result of being a fill-in for them. <laughs> Mike Collins, who is also known as Dirty Mike as per his endeavor into the SoundCloud rap game, touted his bass skills in Salt Lake's crossover devotee's Liar's Tongue and shared the stage with guitarist Josh Nemchek in the band Close Grip, which is also the name of the closing track of this album. 
Now, I feel like I'd be doing that band as well as Crow Killer a disservice if I don't talk about Close Grip, as they are the reason, albeit unfortunate, that they exist. But I'll talk about that when I cover the lyrics of the song. But for now, Crow Killer first broke ground in the Salt Lake hardcore community in 2016 with their EP Becoming an Object of Fear, five tracks of pummeling discordant ferocity. While a very remarkable first effort, it still held the prosaic sense of trial and error. While not a hurried release, the songs were still a result of a new band trying to find their footing. The dynamic wasn't quite there yet, but it was a solid enough foundation on which they could build their musical output as we know it. The band buckled down and zeroed in on tightening up any and all loose screws, filling in the divots and smoothing out all bumps until they became a well-lubricated machine, pounding out a hostile exhibition of metal-tinged hardcore. This entire display of brutality came to head in 2020 through the release of their first album, Enslaved to One. This album is a thundering behemoth. Every single song fits as a part of its physical build and psychological propulsion. It's dark and abysmal, destructive and forceful, distressing and misanthropic, angry and aggressive, morose and grief-stricken. It's an album that takes more than one serving to get its proper flavor. And to, in the end, be satisfied. So let's talk about the first thing that you see about this album, the artwork. So what I spoke of about the propulsion of multiple tangibles of and relating to such dreadful insight... Well, no album cover can be so accurate a portrayal of such than the rather grim and disheveling illustration with off-white and multiple shades of gray. This image is of a woman in her bed being assaulted by an apparition bearing the resemblance of Nosferatu suspended in midair, seemingly looming from out of the darkness of the distorted background. Distortion brought to you by Heavy Brush Strokes. Trademark. The victim lying in the bed has her arms stretched upwards toward the specter and attempts to keep it at bay, but seemingly to no avail, as the apparition's outstretched arms come landing on opposite sides of her head, her face frozen in a screaming visage. It looks like a snapshot of a paranormal film from the golden age of horror. If you were to see this as a movie poster, you can expect the film it's advertising for is going to have an ominous atmosphere with deep dives into the abyss. This image invokes such dismay with its menacing appearance and isn't entirely straightforward in what it's representing. Now, I'm going to go full-on art critic here. What I see is the victim lying on the bed represents the composer and by extension the listener of these songs functioning as reactions to their encounters with this apparition. The apparition, I say, represents the foundry of the immense stressors we face and deal with in life. I'm talking about grief, depression, anxiety, trauma, yearning, and regret. Things that often crash down on us, some harder and more often than others, and our constant efforts of fighting them off. Hence, the outstretched arms on both parties. So you bring this all together, the foreboding imagery and what they allegedly represent, and you have multiple psychoanalyses on the sections of our humanoid brains whose existence we either deny or choose not to address, all being thrusted by this disheveling, brooding, grating, thunderous musical cacophony. As if to say, I know I've got these problems. Some of them serious problems. And I am fucking pissed off at them. Don't believe me? Well, listen to this fucking album. So let's get started on listening to it. Let's talk about the sound. It's 
wildly difficult to compose a sort of hodgepodge of multiple genres in a way where it makes sense. Anyone can lump together this and that from here and there, resulting in a culmination of aimless trajectory with no real style or flavor to declare it of any worth. Focus and effort begat structure and solidification to where, even if you don't like the end product, you can still get a sense that passion and care was going into it. In all, this is how Enslaved to One feels. The different peaks and valleys from different areas of its musical influence complement each other, as well as the emotional platform on which each song is built. However, all of that doesn't mean anything unless you have your hook to grasp the initial attention from listeners. You've taken the time to seek out this record. Now, what is it going to take to reel you in and convince you of submitting your attention for the rest of this album? Well, Yeah, a marathon of plundering guitar riffs broken by chaos chords and held together by complementary drum beats to hold together its controlled chaos. It functions like a frenzied groove. We reach the eye of this hurricane and are met with a more reserved display allowing Tyler and Josh to breathe in between each strum, while Matt keeps a smooth, continuous flow in the beat as to give you the impression that the storm is only just beginning. Not just for the song, but the whole album. When the chaotic assemblage reprises to close out Castigate, its successor, It Comes in Waves, opens up with some drawn-out chords with some rather intense drumming as to signal the oncoming horde of brutality. Tyler and Josh work off of each other with ascending discordant guitar scales that lead the charge of what is the main chugging riff. It breaks off in a tremolo picking and double bass to carry the disheveled chic of the verse. It eventually gives way to some stop and go riffs and morphs into a more straightforward drum beat as to give a sense of intensity before transitioning back to the main riff, which steers without any obstruction until it comes to a halt. The silence is broken by a rallying call to arms from anyone in the vicinity of a microphone, signaling the oh-so-familiar riffing pattern to open the trap door for a thundering break. It slams forcibly for about 30 seconds and lets the last note ring out for a while longer. It's then followed by a serene, albeit disdainful, guitar melody in accordance with the drums, evolving from clattering the hi-hat cymbal to a more groove-based rhythm to allow flow underneath this bridge. The guitars continue to orbit when Blake comes in speaking the lyrics as if he were reciting them at a poetry slam. No idea why. Human nature. What keeps me alive? 
the drums continue to intensify beneath until all but the guitars stop. And back comes the song's former ferocity, but only halfway as forceful. The rolling guitar riffs are broken between each measure by fleeting bits from its prior melodic nature. It continues on with Blake repeatedly growling the ending lyrics until it fades out. The title track starts off with a snippet from the recent Joker movie, showcasing the dialogue surrounding the quote, All I have are negative thoughts. It jumps into some long riffs while the repetitive chants soar overhead. It builds and builds and builds until it snaps into some breakneck speed emulated from the classic death metal juggernaut. Frenetic snare tapping and descending chromatic scales painting an unnerving setting with a sense of urgency. As the song progresses, it gradually slows down and changes the beat patterns. Matt holds more of a groove as Tyler and Josh's rift get a bit crunchier. Then it repeats upon itself before stepping aside for the chugging breakdown ending led in by an echo of chaos chords. series of triplet notes that hold on the last strum is a powerful, albeit ever so simple signal for brutality. And how should the track officially end but with some maniacal laughter? <laughs> Punch him in the dick, Gary. <laughs> At the beginning of Hang Tight, it gives way to some patterns in the musical structure that you'd sooner hear in your average Converge track. Drumming that takes its time to settle into its beat, giving added flavor to otherwise simple guitar riffs. Then the mood shifts into more gloomy territory by way of serene yet disheartening arpeggios, which is then contrasted by an upbeat punk rhythm to carry it. All but the guitars mute for a brief second, and what should enter but the oh-so-familiar lead-in to a hardcore breakdown. And that's just in the first two minutes. In a normal hardcore song, this is where it would end, but this is not a normal hardcore song, and there are still four minutes left. The melodic undertaking continues throughout the middle of the song, allowing some headspace for Blake's spoken word portion of his lyrics. 
Then the third act begins with the song's penultimate breakdown consisting of heavy, slamming riffs broken apart only by... It continues on in some loose repetition. The pattern may change, but the structure is the same. For a song of its length, Crow Killer really wants to bring Hang Tight to a triumphant conclusion, and they do so by muting everything, only to have the silence broken by the quote from Malcolm X. Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. And let the pummeling ensue. It reverts back to a setup of simpler nature in contrite. A bit of feedback from the amps before it fires on all cylinders with guitarists feeding off a groove-based structure that repeat upon each other while the drums hold a mid-tempo pace before escorting the same riffs into slower territory as Blake's screaming of the lyrics float overhead. It slows so far as to induce stomping rhythms with chaos chords breaking through the space left in between the long chords. Then, halfway through, the familiar vicious swaying structure makes its return to the forefront. Then it goes back and does it all again with slight variations, only to hang on the last note to bring back one of the former riffs, only slower. I'll try harder in the next life. And Blake chants over all of it to bring the song and the first half of this album to a close. The lead-in to the second half of the record is a quote from an episode of Community, of all things, with one of the characters feigned to head into existentialism on how none of us exist by choice of divine providence. This is the introduction to Stand and Suffer. The lyrics do further run the course of the aforementioned plight on the human conscious, and we will get to that later. But for now, the music. And the music starts off with a simplified guitar riff to be picked up by the drums, which display equal simplicity. It sounds like old school hardcore when it was getting heavier and more metallic, but you still got the sense that these bands hadn't forgotten their punk roots. It gets disrupted by a quick staccato 8 count to allow a build-up to some more battering propulsion. The vocals matching the rhythmic patterns of the guitars set the mood to be met with disheveled alternating chromatic scales dancing down the fretboard. 
It gives way to the low end to let the mood settle until the high end comes back in the form of a repetitive strain of dissonant chords while Matt rides the hi-hat to keep the intensity present and is once again replaced by its former brutality, complete with vocals switching between Blake and Tyler and double bass drums to cement its aggression. All in just over 60 seconds. Of course, there is one more brutal chug fest to be bestowed, and it comes in the form of a riveting display of one, two, three open guitar notes, divided only by pinch harmonics. The drums keep a groovy halftime beat until all participants are put on hold and bring the riff back even slower. It repeats and fades out with sonic tidbits sprinkled in for extra spice, including sporadic chaos notes, hawking screeches, and clattering on one of the cymbals' bell. Then, enter the revisiting of the opening track from Becoming an Object of Fear, Fight Back. This, to many, was the first thing people heard upon discovery of Crow Killer some six years ago. And now, obviously, is epitomized with enough valor to be redistributed in a full length. Fight Back opens with Josh and Tyler instigating clamoring guitar riffs strung together with chaos chords, and upon a snare roll from Matt, it kicks into high gear with a blood-curdling growl from Blake. Its drudge is solidified by Matt's halftime beat mirroring the ever-so-slight changes in the guitar compositions that switch from plundering riffs to adding more comprehensive and melodic segments and shifting to repetition of disjointed slamming chords. Its velocity increases, in between repetitions, to speeds you'd sooner hear in a punk song, acting as a theme of a charge being led into battle. It slows down a bit for the tension-building riffs to make way for a thundering conclusion, but is abruptly stopped for... Somebody hit somebody! And the brawling ensues. It goes for a few seconds and stops again. Feels like I got cat piss in my eyes! Then the descending riffs with the detached chaos notes return only slower. Then it comes to a halt for... Where's your makeup, huh, buddy? And back into the gradual deceleration of tempo. It continues on and pauses again, only this time, letting the instruments ring out before casting in the slowest collections of riffs to finally conclude the session. It's amazing to me how insanely brutal this song is, only to have it be interrupted by those quotes from Semi-Pro. It sheds light that as serious as these guys take this band and their music, they can't help but have some fun along the way. Don't believe me? It ends with this. I'm six feet from the edge and I'm thinking <laughs> Maybe six feet Ain't so far down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, imagine that on the Dude, record. Nickelback's good. 
That's Creed, man. Don't disrespect Creed like that. <laughs> Creed's sick. Yeah. Anyway, Bring Back the Blood, Part 1, mostly sticks to the gamut of groove-centered rhythms in both the drum patterns and the guitar's riff structure. The ascending and descending scales with the simplified yet momentous drum beats give off a sort of Pantera vibe and how they work off of each other. You may think you have the upper This song also features the vocals of David Blum from Sanction, given some added ferocity in the second verse, and the call to arms lyrics of the chorus in which he alternates back and forth between Tyler and Blake. It turns right into the stop-and-go riffs of the breakdown. It's more or less conventional, but for added drama, it includes a sound clip of an all-too-familiar movie scene. I'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly yellow In a fitting move, it seamlessly transitions into Bring Back the Blood Part 2, starting off with a completely serene juxtaposition to its counterpart. Over the alternating strumming of the descending chords is the sultry voice of Megan Goldeen. which is overlapped and eventually taken over by Blake's spoken word stanzas, which repeat upon themselves with each one getting more intense than the next. with unbridled chugging as Blake screams the rallying lyrics, and Megan comes back in to repeat the initial verse under the consecutive shouting until it all fades into obscurity. We then get to the final track, the title holding the name of the band that Josh and Mike were a part of, Close Grip. This song was originally written for that band, but due to the tragic surroundings of its demise, never saw the light of day. Now it has been resurrected to bring home the cavalcade of musical density of Enslaved to One. And how does it do it? First, let me show you the opening to this Close Grip song, Losing a Brother. Now, Close Grip the Song starts off similarly with very slow and ominous guitar arpeggios, before the drums meet it at the start of the verse. So 
the verse proceeds with Blake toxing in the lyrics with guttural end caps. The guitar repeats the same segments and at the halfway point in the verse is met with drawn out power chords with amp feedback latching on as a tail to lead in the bludgeoning display of open note downstrum with inclusions of discordant notes spread evenly between. It reverts back to the unnerving notes to carry the second verse with a different set of heavy riffs in tow, and with each strain gets slower and more drawn out, allowing the vocals to propel unperturbed. It trudges on until the transition led by a single hit of a cymbal bell sends a dive into crawling riffs broken apart by four dissonant upstrokes on one repetition, and on the next is matched by downward sloping power chords, the last note hangs out and stops, as if a conductor had waved his hand into a fist, signaling Coda. And thus ends the critique of the musical portion of Enslaved to One, and overall, it's pretty damn solid. The breakdowns can lose a bit of their luster as the track listing moves on, and the flux of the riffs can be disjointed at times, risking the loss of my attention, although... When they do get back into the flow of things, I'm always satisfied. And just a nitpick, if the Angels with Filthy Souls quote would have been better aligned as the lead-in to the breakdown of Bring Back the Blood, it would have hit a lot harder. Something like, one, two, ten, and the breakdown hits right as the shots start firing. Now, the music is just one part of what holds this album together, but the lyrics... That's a different story. Describing the music is one thing. That may be the muscle on the skeletal structure, but the lyrics are the heart and soul. I mean, you talk to any hardcore kid, both old and new, and ask them the best parts of their favorite hardcore band's songs, nine times out of ten, they're going to bring up their favorite lyrics. It's not a surprise, though. Hardcore by nature is about pushing a message through lyrics. The music is there to enhance the importance and urgency of it. Hardcore, musically, has come a long way from its punk roots with three-chord structure and songs that tap out after about 90 seconds. But, like I said earlier, Crow Killer is exemplary of what hardcore was originally and what it became with everything in between. Not just musically, but lyrically as well. Crowkiller runs a gamut of emotions in their lyrical enterprise, aside from anger. It upholds a certain degree of sensitivity as to not go too soft. As to further make my point on the lyrical grout being of utmost importance, Castigate opens with the solo bludgeoning scream of the title. Right out of the gate, the words are the first thing that you hear before any instruments start playing. It's just one second, and I may be analytical to a fault in that I could just be 
fishing for meaning that may or may not be intentional. They may have just done it because it sounded cool. But I stand by what I said, and with that out of the way, let's talk about the other words that make up the song's narrative. The definition of castigate is to initiate severe punishment onto someone, and the lyrics seem to emulate a response to said punishment. They read as Blake writing an open letter to a perpetrator of someone who relentlessly abused him in his past. It's like he's trying to find clarity, an explanation that can never be found, but is finding ways to unload that burden and be at peace, and it happens to be screaming and yelling about them in this fit of rage. The closing lines wrap it up nicely and could be the verbal representation of the album cover itself. My ghost haunts you, but these demons are still haunting me. Already, we're getting into some deep-rooted psychoanalyses and is setting the misanthropic mood that looms over this album. Keeping in cohesion with that emotional caveat is the lyrical summary of It Comes in Waves. The it to which it's referring is blatantly stated in the first line, I feel nothing but depression and anxiety. Now, subjects like these, as well as those of other mental ailments, haven't been absent from heavy music. However, in the musical acts of Crow Killer's caliber, they are quite a rarity. I'm sure I speak for most when I say that when we think of hardcore bands from Black Flag to Earth Crisis to Hatebreed, they give the impression of being tough, macho, made of iron, like no one and nothing can penetrate them. Like I said at the top of this review, there are those bands that tackle such subjects as these because not only does it come from a real place of hurt, but they channel the anger that they have towards it into such dense, polarizing lyrical assemblage. This is where bands like Disembodied come into play, as they channeled a lot of their emotional shortcomings into lyrics that, had it not been for the backdrop of chaotic guitar chords and equally aggressive drumming, would sooner be confused as an old-school emo song. The context of the song doesn't hold any punches in that the lyrics convey the mental process when one's mind is in such an abysmal state. Lyrics of referring to depression as a whole with the victim clawing their way out but to no avail and considering the option that if this is what my life is going to be like, why bother carrying on? It goes on to display more accuracy of the gamut of depressive episodes with a more intelligible vocal passage in the bridge. 
After this musical buildup, the music pauses to allow... There's no break in the clouds today! The music brawls for a sec and gives way to its more serene nature as to allow a clean spoken word segment. Then it ends and fades with the repeating chants of Now that the subject of It Comes in Waves is unveiled, it makes sense now as to why the musical segments are structured the way they are. The chaotic buildup lends itself to feeling the proverbial wave about to come crashing in. And it does when the music breaks. And with the lyrics, it gives way to a God damn it, not again, not now reaction. The music moves from sauntering to sprinting, each one riding the cusp of another wave, getting more brutal with each segment. And how the softer ending gives the feeling of the water finally settling to a point of relief despite the heavier snippets. As if to say, okay, I won this round, but I'll be back. And the fact that the song fades out just further pushes the motif that while these episodes come in waves, even in and on themselves, it's a never-ending war of self-worth. The mood then shifts on a dime into more triumphant territory with the title track. After the sound clip from Joker, we're met with some anthemic chants. One blood, one red, one light, one death, one thought, one red, one light. Blake meets halfway through with words on how in times of life-altering conflict that ingenuity takes hold in how there is, as the title suggests, only one thing holding us back, heeding that the one is ourselves. 
As the song goes on, it demonstrates how, even if we do hoist ourselves up by our bootstraps and demand our voices be heard, it comes with its fair share of emotional and mental fatigue, and that our protests often fall on deaf ears. It then moves into the aforementioned sloganeering, touting itself as its own exemplar outcry. What's up, motherfuckers? This is Crow Killer! Salt Lake City's braided! Stomping out junkies and racist! You big-ass motherfuckers! It doesn't really add anything to the message being conveyed, other than the surface-level propulsion of exclaiming their beliefs and heeding obscure actions behind them. However, one of the subjects they exclaim direct resistance towards carries over into the next song. The written portion of Hang Tight is a six-minute address of discourse toward those who have fully embraced their racist temperament. Songs of this subject have a couple of ways to go about as such. One is from an analytical front by trying to pinpoint the causal link to such a prejudiced mindset, whereas another way, which is more common, are reactionary responses built upon rage stemming from either personal trauma or from witnessing such bigotry whilst assuring that they themselves are ambassadors to those at the receiving end of such injustice. Crow Killer aims toward the latter in this song. The first verse starts off with lyrics sounding more like an interrogation toward an imaginary racist person or people. In the second verse, the music dwindles to tranquility, with the lyrics aimed in the direction of assurance and backup for those who were slandered. continues on with that last phrase, as the first bridge is draped with a rallying chant of RISE to build the tension. Then, halfway through, 
Blake interjects between each chant with a list of subjects that need to be risen above and including words of encouragement. continues on with the music's placid foray and reprises the second verse with clean and equally calm vocals, and most importantly, veering the subject back to the hard-boiled dialogue toward the illusory antagonist, with lyrics alluding toward a bow charge. Tension-building riffs project a mental image of knuckles cracking, fists clenching, and arms pulling back until... Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. Boom! Final chant sounds as if it's being screamed by the assailant between multiple blows to the enemy's face while they're pinned down to the ground. Now, I do wonder what is meant by the song title and how it's representative to its message. The phrase, hang tight, is a slang synonymous with wait a minute or hold on. And I doubt that that correlates with the message it's trying to convey. In different parts of the song, the phrase and the context of the lyrics surrounding it suggest different meanings. Hanging on to the twisted mindset until the day you die is held toward the traits that are engraved in these people's brains so deep that there is very little possibility of change from them. Whereas, your hate will leave you hanging tight, and the closing line, you will hang tight. Both spawn a rather morbid alternative theory based on the phrase, you reap what you've sown. It reminds me of when the lynch mobs in the American South at the turn of the century displayed public hangings of black minorities, and that you'll hang tight as a threatening modicum of revenge. I'm going out on a limb here. Excuse the phrasing. (laughs) So, I can be completely off base. But... The way that message of the song and the lyrics pertaining to the intent of eradicating this morsel of discrimination by way of direct action, such a threat, maybe exaggerated, might not be too unusual. Either way, the message still stands clear, racism is still very prevalent today as it was back then, and we still need to do something about it. So, 
that was a bit of an overload, both in longevity and lyrical exhibition. It gets back to equally dense, yet more succinct degrees of expression. Contrite, as the word's definition would suggest, is flooded with lyrics pertaining to regret and guilt and the hardships that come with it. The lyrics run through a gamut of trials the central character goes through, all while trying to find any essence of inner peace. It doesn't overstay its welcome. In pure hardcore fashion, it gets in, says what it needs to say, and rather intensely at that, and leaves. Its momentary stay doesn't diminish the weight of the lyrics as they are a subject matter that doesn't lend itself to too much emotional excavation, unless it's looking to get down to brass tacks. The following Stand and Suffer, however, gets a little more complex. The introductory notice from the sound clip taken from the episode of Community heeds warning of lyrics shrouded in the subject of existential dread. More specifically, taking a standpoint in true realist fashion that we exist on chance and that our demise is inevitable. Take a look around! We are all going down! Then we got the ball! Then we all deserve to fall! The descending chromatic guitar scales give that feeling of just spiraling down into the abyss. Blake's blunt force delivery in his lyrics don't stray too far into the realm of nihilism in that nothing matters, we're just gonna die anyway, as he brings it back to more positive While a nice shift in tone, it follows with Everyone is dead. They just don't know bringing it back to the harsh reality the song has set for itself. With that, the song is kind of jumbled as far as the message is concerned. It's projecting forth a practical message in that, like all other carbon-based life forms this planet has procured, we will be facing extinction. While on the other hand, instilling a message of finding purpose within our fleeting lifespans. Only to route back to the original theme in the lyrics, everyone is dead, they just don't know it yet. I guess it's left up to 
interpretation of the listener. And for me, the message I am getting is that there is no clear-cut recourse for this disdainful outlook, and that that's basically the universal definition of life for us homo sapiens aware of our expiration date. Find purpose with the life you have. The message, yes, may come across as a bit muddied, but the ethical ground on which it stands does validate the tough love in the lyrics. For Crow Killer, there is no shortage of purpose. As the previous songs and the rest of this album would attest, there is always something to fight against, and it doesn't get more blunt than in Fight Back. After the guitar riff started off, already the first verse rattles off a list of acts of resistance, each followed by different idioms pertaining to reactions of such. In reference of the latter half of the message from the previous song, Fight Back more or less bookends it by sending home its point. However, here it gets a little deeper. Protest isn't met without its pushback, but one particular set of lyrics dives further into that while we may be fighting for certain rights on the grounds of humanity and morality, it's important to keep consistency and to not let it feign. Even though you may have started a movement, you will most likely not live long enough to see if it is a success. And just to make sure that Crow Killer is getting their message across, they repeatedly ask the question through the decelerating breakdown. Now, we get to the showstopper, Bring Back the Blood, Parts 1 and 2. These two reprise the theme of PTSD, initially instated from Castigate, but broadens it out a bit. Whereas Castigate resulted in a sense of defeat and subjugation, Bring Back the Blood ventures toward shameful joy, taking solace in seeing misery take hold of those who have wronged you in the past. Sounds like the you to whom Blake is referring 
is any number of people whom he would take pleasure in watching suffer. And Dave from Sanction joins in on the indulging. With lyrics like this serving under a song titled Bring Back the Blood, it all seems to be under the referral of the phrase Do Unto Others. Tying back into the Schadenfreude motif, the pleasure one gets in someone else's suffering is even greater when you are perpetuating it. Upon further analysis of this song's lyrics and the context from which they are produced, the snippet of Johnny's imposing threat towards snakes and the gunshots that follow seems all the more fitting, doesn't it? Part 2, on the other hand, allows breathing space after that cavalcade of brutality. The peaceful yet gloomy music holds true to Part 1's thematic elements, but acts as a course of relaxation and reflection upon your success. Megan Goldeen's vocal passage mirrors this approach. Her vocals bring in a sense of beauty, as if to say that the worst is now behind us. But the lyrics suggest otherwise, given the sense that the battle might be over, but the war is still pressing on. Overlapping and eventually taken over Megan's passage, Blake offers a sort of triumphant retort with Like he's assuring this voice that, through all these trials and tribulations, he's not only going to come out stronger, but willing to lead the charge for the next battle. As I'm saying this, the song's lyrics are getting dangerously close to being the subject of a power metal song. However, where instead of lyrics referring to something you catch in a round of D&D, the battle in question is between the instincts of a disheveled mind and the potential actions they bestow. And the closing lines offer encouragement to keep your warrior's spirit alive. And that brings us to the final track on the album, Close Grip. Now, remember what I said in the beginning of the episode, how this song relates to and bears the name of Mike and Josh's former band? This song comes 
as a memoir of the tragedy which led to the demise of the band and, by extension, led to the formation of Crow Killer. I will get to that in a minute, as it is a tragic story and the lyrics bear a lot of that weight. Just keep in mind on the intro, if you're writing to it, there's bass guitar going on through the first part. Yeah, it hears you, I'll know. The song starts off with those ominous arpeggios, setting the course for the lyrics that read off as if they were a eulogy. And it pretty much is. Just listen. So here we are, left alone, without you here. What are we gonna do? Now things are not so clear. Murder thoughts begins the flood with fear. That incline of aggression throughout the verse sounds off like Blake is going through the anger stage of the seven stages of grief. Starting off speaking the lyrics, and his vocals gradually building up with the sonic hostility of the music, until it breaks into guttural yells over those slamming riffs. It reverts back to that structure, and repeats it until the bridge hits with the bargaining stage of grief. There is many a song written about the struggles one goes through in grievance of a loved one, but the distinctiveness lies in the story which inspired its creation. I've held off long enough to tell this story, so let's get into it. The band Close Grip was founded in 2014 by Brad Bricks Hancock, with Josh on guitar, Mike on drums, and Nick Karchner on bass. In a short time, they built a reputation and had a significant draw in the hardcore community of Salt Lake and the northern adjacent city, Ogden, and released a demo in the process. Their fervor for performing was matched by their fans. Then the day of November 15th, 2014, was when Close Grip's future as a band was halted. They were playing a show in Salt Lake with Fury, Old Lines, Stick Figures, and Soul Search. And during the show, a confrontation took place between Brad's kid brother and a man named Quincy Lawson. The quarrel was led outside after Brad got involved and kicked out Lawson. Lawson took out a gun and started shooting away and killed Brad. Lawson was arrested and is currently serving a 15-year sentence in Utah State Prison after pleading guilty to a manslaughter charge. They released a sort of posthumous EP a few days later of three songs slated to be on their once upcoming full length. Close Grip did go on for a few more shows with Brad's half-brother serving as vocalist, the last of which was a benefit show on September 20th, 2015. It was at that show they ended their set with the song Losing a Brother, the closing track from their demo. There wasn't a dry eye in that room.
Blake and Josh got together and started fiddling around with the idea of creating a new band, and it came to fruition in the form of the first song they had written, Fight Back. The music to what would eventually become that of the song, Close Grip, was originally written as a song for that band. But the similarities don't stop there. I talked of the similarities between the opening guitars from the song to Losing a Brother, but these opening lyrics, check this out. Taking a loss is never easy, but losing a brother is like a hole that can't be filled. It's a cut so deep, and it always bleeds. Thoughts of emptiness that cloud you every day. A real sadness that leaves you broken and alone. Crushed until you're in the days. And now, listen to this. It goes even further than that, though. That opening sound clip is of Brad talking and was taken from the original demo recording of this song. And the closing lyrics is a reference to something Brad had allegedly said before slash during a brawl. Don't come to the jungle if you can't take the jungle. Close Grip is the long-awaited tribute to Brad Bricks. Songs like this take time, as per the reason, Blake says, it took so long for this album to come out. This is something that simply could not be rushed, and the effort behind it really shows. So, what else can I say about this album? Well, now that I've gotten through all of the specifics, this is where I say the pros and cons. Let's get the cons out of the way first. For one, I thought that some of the song's structure and cohesion of which was a bit janky. In Hang Tight, the culmination of riffs didn't flow in a way that made sense and as a result overstayed its welcome. And the lyrics, while they are fervent in their message, retread over previous lyrics but change the words. You can only hammer in the nail so deep. Then there was the contrasting messages from Stand and Suffer that leave more to the imagination, which, if that was the intent, doesn't fit in the setting procured by the objective messages in the adjoining songs. Then there's It Comes in Waves. Nothing to do with the song itself, but more its placement on the album. This is more of a nitpick, but when you come crashing through the gate with the in-your-face ravaging of Castigate and is immediately followed by a song that is slower and more brooding and is triple the runtime, it just feels too sudden an attempt of showcasing their musical diversity. Maybe it'd make more sense if it was placed elsewhere on the album, but that is a debate that I don't have time for right now. And finally, 
what I said about the sound clip from Home Alone and Bring Back the Blood being maligned with the breakdown. Now let's get to the pros. It's heavy, it's brutal, it knows when to be technical, and it knows when to be simple. It can be all about the bash and crash, but allows time for the softer sectors to balance it out, like in Bring Back the Blood and It Comes in Waves. Lyrically, while I appreciate him touching on socio-political issues, songs like the title track, Castigate, and Again, It Comes in Waves have Blake going way down the rabbit hole in deep-rooted insecurities and just bringing them out to the forefront for everyone to see. This is a new type of ballsiness that is severely needed in this scene. The added fine points like the movie quotes and sloganeering are fun ways to break the mold of this album's otherwise serious nature, even if they don't make sense in the context of the track. It calls back to the youthful nature that was in quite the abundance in hardcore songs some 20 years ago. And of course, everything surrounding the song Close Grip. All the little additions that further detail the history, not only to the song itself, but of Crow Killer as a whole. This is a phenomenal album. Despite its shortcomings, it's reserved itself as a staple in the catalog of Salt Lake Hardcore albums released within the last decade, and has set quite the standard leading hardcore into the 2020s. As far as a rating, I give it a soft 4 out of 5. As for the best songs... You're the top five. Close grip for the history behind it and the execution as a track in memoriam to their fallen friend. And bring back the blood one and two. Yes, I count it as one song. Originally, it was released as one single. They just split it in two because of time constraints. But I love that one for its seamless musical transitions and its triumphant battle-tinged lyrics. Um, It comes in waves, it's balanced between being harsh and smooth, and the honesty in its lyrics about depression. Then, the title track, Enslaved to One, for the message of finding oneself and breaking all chains. And finally, Contrite, for its ability to find simplicity in the technicality. And that's the end of this review. If you have interest in listening to this album, you can find it on crowkillerhc.bandcamp.com. Give Crowkiller a follow on Instagram at crowkillerhc. And you can find them on Facebook under simply just typing in Crowkiller. And as for this, you can find us on Instagram at leadmelodies underscore podcast or on Facebook at lead.melodies.podcast.slc or more preferred, find us on the website at circlepitradio.com. Thank you everybody for listening. This is the longest one that has been put out thus far, but for good reason. I hope you enjoyed everything you heard and I hope you can further enjoy Crow Killer in their coming days. Thank you very much. I'll see you in hell. No one has a halo!